Something kind of miraculous happened late last year. Congress actually passed a major piece of health policy legislation. A pandemic relief bill signed last month also includes a ban on surprise medical billing. Protecting people from surprise medical bills was the rare bipartisan issue, but it still faced intense industry opposition and took five years to get done. In other words, classic political compromise. Today, we return to the research corner with University of Minnesota health economist Saye Nikpay, who shares three big numbers from the research to help us understand what we can expect from this new law. From the studio at the Leonard Davis Institute at the University of Pennsylvania, I'm Dan Gorenstein, and this is Tradeoffs. Saye, you are an associate professor at the University of Minnesota and the Tradeoffs Contributing Research Editor. How's that for a nice title? Effectively, that means you're our go-to health economist. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. I'm trying to be a professor and get my work done and also apparently teach elementary school. At the same time, it's pandemic living. We are excited to have you on to talk about surprise bills, something that we've talked about on the show before. But for people who don't know or have forgotten SIA, can you just give us a quick refresher? What is a surprise bill? Why are they a problem? So let's say that you're cooking. I've actually done this a couple of times this pandemic. You're cooking and you slice your finger open. Okay. Okay. You did your homework beforehand. You know who your in-network hospital is. Okay. So you're you're like, great. I get in the car, bandage up my finger, and I run there. And I am seeing a bunch of doctors. They're all dressed the same. And somewhere in the process of receiving care for that, that chopped up finger, there's a doctor in there who actually is out of network. And, you know, once I get home, I think, great, that's all done. My finger's healing. I can go back to chopping onions. And uh, then pretty soon I receive a bill, not just for the services that I expected to pay for that were in network, but also for some services that were out of network. And this is a nasty surprise. And say, how big of a problem is this? How often do the the chop-fingered folks get these surprise bills? So... In the emergency department, where we really have the best numbers, it's about one in five patients who end up receiving a surprise bill of some kind. And, you know, more than half of the people who got one of these bills, they end up paying about 480 bucks for those services, but they can get really high. I mean, there are stories about people who pay over $100,000. And we've really seen this, right, Sae? I mean, Republicans, Democrats, they're outraged. I think like 32 states have passed their own laws limiting this practice in one way or another. But those laws still left a lot of people exposed. So now we've got this new federal law, the so-called No Surprises Act, which goes into effect next year in 2022. Can you break this down for us? How will this new law actually work? Okay, so there's two big things to point out here, Dan. First, the overall goal of No Surprises Act is to protect all insured patients in the country from having to pay these surprise bills. But someone still has to pay these bills when out-of-network care happens. 
So the second thing the No Surprises Act does is it sets up a process for insurers and the docs or providers to come together and determine how much the docs should get paid by insurance companies. And they do it in a very specific way. They use something called baseball-style arbitration. Ah, I see. Taking a page out of Major League Baseball's playbook. Got it. Okay. Yeah, Dan, I've got to warn you, I am not a baseball fan. So I thought we could actually ask Tradeoff's producer Ryan Levy to step in here and explain this part of the story, given his deep love for the sport. Hey, coach, I'm ready. What do you need? Uh, No need to suit up here, sir. Just looking for a little primer on baseball arbitration, please. Sure thing, Skip. You got it. So here's the thing. In baseball, if you're a young ball player like myself uh, and you and your team can't agree to a contract deal, we're going to go to arbitration. Uh, I, as the player, make an offer, the team makes an offer, and we each make our case to a panel of neutral arbitrators. Now, the key thing here is that the arbitrators have to choose one of the offers. They can't pick a number in the middle. Uh, The idea here is that this makes it less likely that either side is going to offer up, you know, some ridiculous number out of left field. Uh, And it encourages folks to actually try and work out a deal on their own instead of leaving it up to the, you know, uncertainties of arbitration. Does that make sense? That was a home run, Levy. Thanks. Go hit the showers, buddy. Go Twins! Twins! (laughs) Twins? Go Twins. Okay, Saye, okay. Now, several states have also taken this baseball approach to settling these bills, and you went right into the research because you wanted to see how states had fared with similar surprise bill solutions. Yeah, and look, there are lots of states that have passed some form of protections, But not all of these policies are that old, so the evidence can't really tell us what's going to happen in the long run, meaning like five, ten years down the road. But it does give us a window into what could happen in the first year or so under the new law. And I've got three major findings from the literature that I really want to share with you because they help me think about this law more clearly. When you say three findings, does that basically mean three big numbers? Sure, we can call them big numbers. (laughs) Great, thanks. Uh, Okay, three big numbers. So what is your first one? Okay, the first big number is 88%. And this comes from a 2020 paper by Zach Cooper and his colleagues at Yale, Fiona Scott Morton, and Nathan Chiquita. And it uses actual patient medical claims to find out what happened after New York passed its surprise billing law in 2014. So before the law, almost 15% of people saw an out-of-network provider when they went to the emergency department. But after the law passed, that dropped to about 2%, actually less than 2%. That translates to an 88% decrease. So this is good news because if you don't see an out-of-network provider, guess what? You can't get a surprise out-of-network bill. Right. And so that's important because obviously the main goal of any surprise bill law is to protect patients. And this 88% drop in New York suggests that's actually happening. Exactly. This law that was meant to cut down on surprise billing actually cut down on surprise billing. Hey, hey. I know. I know. So let me explain why we think it's happening. So before New York banned surprise bills, the emergency medicine docs in this paper could play hardball with insurers, okay, if we're doing baseball. (laughs) So one of 
these emergency medicine docs in this paper could say, either pay me what I want to be in network, or I'll just go out of network and I'll just bill at higher rates. And a bunch of the time, that's what happened. And that's why people got surprise bills, because the emergency medicine docs could do it. But now patients under this law are protected. And these bills, instead of going to patients, have to go to arbitration. And that's a riskier proposition for the docs. It's time consuming. And they actually are not sure how much they're going to get paid on the other end. So under this policy, it's just financially safer for a lot of these doctors to just sign in-network contracts. And that kind of shift is likely why Zach and his colleagues found an 88% drop in the probability that people see an out-of-network ED doc. And not only that, this new playing field might have forced some of these docs to actually accept lower in-network rates when they did come back. This is potentially even better news, right? Because if insurers are paying in-network rates, that means our insurance premiums are likely to go down too. So the natural question, Saye, is do we have any research on the impact that this sort of baseball-style arbitration has had on premiums? Oh, I wish we did. Unfortunately, we don't have any studies that are published yet on this particular topic that's so important, and I would love to see this study. Um, But we do have the next best thing, or at least to me, it's the next best thing, uh, which happens to be my second big number, which is 1%. 1%. Okay. What, What are we talking about here? Basically, the Congressional Budget Office, and I will admit I am a fangirl of the Congressional Budget Office. This is who, the, who, who's not? Yes, they're amazing. When they drop their numbers, we all go running, right? So the Congressional Budget Office um, actually evaluated a version of the No Surprises Act. And what they concluded was that we could possibly expect to see that no surprises would result in some providers maybe moving in network, getting paid lower rates, and that could maybe lower premiums between about 0.5 and 1%. That doesn't sound like much, but historically it's been really hard to reduce premiums. So this suggests that this policy could actually reduce the amount that consumers are paying for health insurance. When we come back, Saye's third number, and what we still don't know about the impact this new law could have. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. We're back, Sayed, talking about the federal No Surprises Act. Research from states suggests that this new law should lead to a dramatic drop in surprise bills. And if that happens, consumers could even see a dip in their premiums. 
But here's something I still don't understand. If these laws protect patients from paying surprise bills and are also pushing docs back into insurance networks, then why do we even need that whole baseball arbitration thing in the first place? That's a great question. So imagine this. You get into a car crash and the damage is really bad and it requires a specialist to fix it. But there's only one hand specialist in all of Philly and she's not in your network. The hospital calls in this specialist to fix your hand, which is great. So you can keep on emailing the day away or whatever it is you do. But you weren't awake to consent to say yes to this surgery. So it's fine that the doctor fixed your hand, but she's just not in your network. Under the No Surprises Act, you now only owe what you would have paid her were she in your network. And the insurer is going to have to pick up the rest of the tab. But the insurer might think that the amount she's charging is too high. And that's where the arbitration process is going to come in handy. Handy, say? Good Lord. Listen, what can I say? I'm a health economist. I'm not an entertainer. Although I am getting to know this law like the back of my hand. Got it. Look, that that may, as goofy as that all was, that makes sense. And I, as a patient, care about how much my insurer ends up paying for my surgery because, as we've sort of discussed, the more my insurer pays, the more premiums will climb. Eating away at that CBO projection you were talking about. Exactly. Do we know anything about how the actual arbitration process itself has worked out in these states? We do. And this is actually the piece that was most interesting to me because it's a little wonky. It's a little in the weeds, which you know that I like. Um, And importantly, this was the part that I knew the least about going in. So I called up a researcher who's done a ton of work on surprise billing and some on arbitration in particular. So my name is Benjamin Chartok. I am an associate fellow at the Leonard Davis Institute of Health Economics at the University of Pennsylvania. And I'm also in my fourth year of the PhD program in health economics at the Wharton School. So Ben says that the big take home is that the information that you give arbitrators to help them make decisions really influences how much the doctors get paid. Arbitrators in this process are allowed to consider a lot of things in how they make their decisions, how complex the service is, how highly trained the doctor is, where and when it happened. But there are really only a few hard numbers that the arbitrator has to basically decide if they're going to take the doctor's proposed bill or what the insurer is saying they'd like to pay. And so I'm sensing this is where your third big number comes in? Yes, yes. So a few states, including New York and New Jersey, use this arbitration process. And the number here that I'm going to introduce is the 80th percentile of billed charges. That's our third and final number. Uh, Okay, 80th percentile of billed charges. A lot to unpack there. Plus, you know me in math. Uh, So let's take this slow, please. Absolutely. I'll start with Ben, who actually had a really good way of explaining the build charges part. You can think really loosely of charges as the sticker price of the car. When you go into the dealership, I've never bought a car, but I hear from television and the movies that no one actually pays what the sticker price for the car is. They negotiate it down with the dealer. So in healthcare, a build charge is just a sticker price that hospitals or doctors have assigned to a service, like a procedure like your hand surgery, Dan. And bill charges are almost always negotiated down by insurance companies. So the 80th percentile of bill charges in this example, 
That's the sticker price that's higher than 80% of all the other sticker prices for this kind of hand surgery in the Philadelphia market. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it does. Basically, one of the few actual numbers that arbitrators have to help them make this decision is a number at the high end of what doctors in the area charge for that service. That sounds though like it could end up leading to some pretty big awards for the doctors. Yeah, and this is exactly what we see in a paper published this January by Ben and his co-authors, Lauren Adler, Bick Lee, Aaron Duffy, and Aaron Trish. So they found that two-thirds of the time, Dan, arbitrators in New Jersey who had this 80th percentile number in front of them picked the offer closest to it. These are just sticker prices that they post in the window. They're not what's paid. And so what this arbitration system has done in New Jersey is it's actually taken these sticker prices and made them part of compensation. And they're determined by only one side. So Saye, listening to this, the real world consequence here is because the providers can set these billed charges however high that they want, having arbitrators use that number to decide these cases in New Jersey has led to those high costs that we were all worried about in the first place. Exactly. So Ben and his colleagues found that because of this, a lot of those arbitrated awards in New Jersey ended up being several times more than usual rates negotiated by providers and insurers. Does the federal law end up copying this problem or are they trying to guard against it? So we don't actually know what all the details of the federal arbitration system will look like. But we do know from the text of the law that it forbids arbitrators from looking at billed charges. And instead, one of the factors it tells them to consider is median in-network rates. So that's the middle of the road price that insurers in an area pay for a particular service. So this median in-network rate should be a lot lower than the 80th percentile of bill charges? Yeah, almost certainly. And we'll have to wait until 2022 to see what happens. But what Ben and his colleagues' paper tells us is that the information that you give arbitrators ends up being really important in the final decision you get. The last question for you, Saeed. Obviously, we're not going to know what this law will do until it's in place, and even the state evidence is still pretty limited as of right now. What's the research or study that you wish we had but don't yet have that could really help inform how to think about these laws? Okay, well, two things come to mind. One is just a study that looks at something like patient credit scores or um, other financial metrics, right? Are they in debt? Um, Maybe even some measures of emotional well-being, because if patients are being protected from these huge bills, we should see that they're doing better financially and potentially happier with their financial situation. Two, we know that private equity-backed companies use surprise billing as a money-making tool. This law may make this tool a stinker. So if the companies dump these docs, Do those docs band together or do they get scooped up by hospitals? Either move could lead to consolidation and research is pretty clear that drives up prices. And there's actual language written into the law directing federal agencies to be on the lookout for this type of outcome. Saye Nickpeng, thanks for joining us on Research Corner. Thanks for having me, Dan. Always a pleasure, my friend. 
If you want to dig deeper into the research Saye talked about today, you can find more information by clicking on the link in our show notes or going to our website, tradeoffs.org. That's also where you can sign up for our weekly newsletter, which features expert analysis of the latest health policy research delivered right to your inbox. Again, that's tradeoffs.org. I'm Dan Gorenstein, and this is Tradeoffs. Communities of color have been hit especially hard by COVID-19. And now, these same communities are being left behind in the rush to vaccinate. I thought about Mr. Sanchez. I thought about Mr. Aguilar, Mr. Ospina. All I kept seeing was we have an opportunity to bounce back and save lives. And we're going to do it, and we're going to do it right. The hard work and opportunities of vaccine equity. Next time on Tradeoffs. If you enjoyed today's episode of Tradeoffs, you'll enjoy our weekly newsletter and the timely research discussions included therein. You can sign up for our newsletter by clicking on the link in the show notes or on the big orange button at the top of our website, tradeoffs.org. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter at TradeoffsPod. Tradeoffs is produced by Ryan Levy and Christine Fennessy, Chief of Strategy and Operations Jessica Silverman, Communications Manager Matt Clyburn, Operations Assistant Jamie Song, Sound Designer Andrew Perella, and Senior Producer Leslie Walker. The Tradeoffs theme song was composed by Ty Sitterman with additional music this episode from Blue Dot Sessions. Additional thanks to Jack Hoadley, Zach Cooper, Lauren Adler, and the Tradeoffs Advisory Board. Thanks also to all our listeners who helped to support our work, including Cecile Rohrbach, Julie Stone, and Bob Herman. Tradeoffs is supported in part by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, Arnold Ventures, the Leonard Davis Institute of Health Economics at the University of Pennsylvania, West Health, the California Healthcare Foundation, and the National Institute for Healthcare Management. The views expressed in this episode are those of the individuals and not those of Tradeoffs staff, advisors, or funders. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.